I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Journey, uh, I've had a week. Uh, early on in this week, in the middle of the night, I had a couple of phone calls uh, at about midnight from my daughter, who's in Italy, uh, letting me know that her debit card had been hacked and someone was into her account and spending her money. And so it's the middle of the night and I'm trying to figure out how to help her and she's panicking and it created anxiety in me. At an early morning meeting a little bit later in the week where I was meeting with our executive pastor, Brian, and we were discussing some of the challenges we were working on here around the church and realized that some of those challenges are even bigger than we thought. They're great challenges to have, but they were sizable and challenging for us. And then Thursday morning, I get the call that says that a pipe in our fire suppression system had burst and our entire tank of 12,000 gallons of water was immediately pushed out into our tech booth and out into our auditorium in our lobby. And so that's why here today, I'm having the opportunity to get to preach to you from my office online only. There's lots of things that can happen in any given week that can create a lot of anxiety for us. And I realize that you're on the other side of that camera, but I know that you're dealing with things that are raising up anxiety in your life as well. I know because I talk with people that some of you are walking through difficult health issues. Some of you are walking through financial things that are creating lots of anxiety in your life. There's uncertainties in your future that are creating lots of stress for you. Some of you are in a place where your job is just not fulfilling and you don't like it and you want out and you want a different one. Some of you are in relationships, maybe even marriages that are unraveling and it's creating lots of stress in your life. Some of you have kids that are going off the rails. Some of you are dealing with deep sense of loneliness that creates a lot of anxiety in your life. Some of you are in the dating world right now. And some of my friends, when they talk to me about Hinge and Tinder and Bumble and Match, I just think that just sounds so stressful. And then there's Chinese balloons. Like, what do we, what do, we do with that? Any given week, there's so many things that can bring anxiety to our life. And here's the thing that I want you to hear from me today, that even if you follow Jesus and you follow him with your whole heart, that doesn't shelter you from the storms of life. Jesus actually promised that we would have storms in our life. In John 16, 33, when he was talking to his disciples, these are one, this is one of the last things he said to them as he was training them. He said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. But here's his promise. 
in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. A promise of God, in this world, you will have trouble. Now I know all the time we want to quote the promises of God and we should do that. Uh, but sometimes a little bit tongue in cheek, I think this isn't one of those promises that we often tattoo on our arm or we put on a bumper sticker or we have a wall hanging that says, in this world, you will have trouble. Several years ago, I, I made that comment in a sermon and someone actually sent me a picture of uh, that verse specifically on the wall of their house. But you know what? I loved it because that is reality. And I think every one of us should probably have that hanging on our wall just to remind you that we aren't sheltered from the things of this world that are gonna cause anxiety. In this world, we will have trouble. But sometimes I just think if it was just one thing, if it was just one thing that we had to deal with at a time, we could maybe metabolize it. But what happens so often is that we have all these challenges that come at us at once. Sailors have this term that they use called the perfect storm. It's when this combination of all these different factors come together to create this storm that is almost completely inescapable. You have hurricane force winds. You've got this incredible cold front that comes in and this downpour of rain that makes it almost an insurmountable disaster. But here's the truth. I understand you don't have to be a sailor to understand the perfect storm. We have experienced those in our lives at different times. And when they come, they bring anxiety. And anxiety has the capacity to choke out every ounce of joy that we want to experience in this life. But here's what we've been trying to learn in the book of Philippians. Paul wants us to un understand that if we're gonna experience joy, if we're gonna rediscover joy, we have got to get to the place where we understand how to deal with anxiety in our life. Paul would want us to understand that the presence of anxiety in our life is unavoidable. Things are gonna happen that bring up anxious thoughts in our life. The presence of anxiety is unavoidable but the prison of anxiety is optional. Paul wants us to understand how do we deal with anxiety in our life so it doesn't become a prison to us? How do we experience joy and peace in the midst of storms? Let's jump into the text. Philippians chapter four, starting in verse four. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And then there's three little words, the Lord is near. Four simple words, the Lord is near. Friends, if we're gonna get to the place where we learn how to experience joy, even in the midst of the storms of life, we've got to get to the place where we understand that even in those places, the Lord is near. Here's what I was reflecting on as I was thinking about what Paul said here. I was just thinking about some of the challenging circumstances in my life right now and some in the past. I started to imagine like, would my emotional state change if, only, if the only thing that I knew was that Jesus was there with me, that he was right there beside me. He had me by my hand or he had his arm around me. And he was telling me, I've got you, I'm with you. Even if none of the circumstances of my life changed, if I just knew for sure that he was there, would it change my emotional state? 
And as I started to reflect on it, I thought, absolutely, it would if I just knew for sure that he was there and he understood. That would bring peace to me. And that's what Paul wants us to understand. The Lord is near. And the, the scripture says this all over. Psalm 34, 18 says this, the Lord is close. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. God wants us to know when we're in that place of fear, when we're in that place of anxiety, I am right there with you. He wants you to know he is right there. I was talking to a friend of mine and she's a therapist and because of the nature of all the things happening in our country, anxiety disorders are probably one of the most significant things or the things that she deals with the most. And one of the questions that she asks to help people understand this idea that the Lord is near, she simply asks them, where do you see God in this? Because so many times, even as a follower of Jesus, she's a follower of Jesus, many of the people that come to her follow Jesus, but sometimes they separate this idea of their anxiety and their mental health and their spiritual life. But she wants to help them bring those together by asking, where do you see God in this? Because she wants them to understand that the Lord is near. Because when we understand his presence is with us, it can change everything, even if our circumstances don't change. As Paul continues, uh, I, I want to tie verses 5 and 6 together because I've separated them in how I'm talking about it. But I think the way it reads, it's much better if you read the last part of 5 in one fell swoop with verse 6. So I'm going to do that. The Lord is near, almost like a, a therefore, Paul says this. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul gives us a very clear command, do not be anxious. But I want to address a question that gets asked often about this, because it is a, is a clear command, is, is our experience of anxiety, is that sin, because we're, we're disobeying a command a clear command of scripture to not be anxious. Here's how I think it is helpful for us to think about our emotions. Our emotions, friends, they're, they're just warning lights on the dashboard of our car. And the warning lights in and of themselves are not the problem, but those warning lights are pointing to something underneath the hood that is a problem that we need to pay attention to. We've got to look deeper. And to help us understand this, I wanna, I wanna refer to some teaching of Jesus on this same topic of anxiety uh, and worry. Um, in the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew chapter six, Jesus, it's an extensive teaching on worry, but he asked some really good questions. And one of the questions was this, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? And, and his point's kind of obvious, is like worrying doesn't help anything. It doesn't accomplish anything for us. It can't add an hour to our life. And the reality is, is because of what anxiety does to us, and even studies have shown just the, the things that in our health that get diminished because of anxiety, it actually takes time off of our life. And it diminishes our experience of life as well. Who by worrying can add a single hour to our life? And in that same section, when Jesus is talking about how he takes care of the birds and he takes care of the flowers, and in the grand scheme of things, he's trying to help us understand birds and flowers don't even matter. 
People matter. You matter. If they don't have to worry, why should you worry? I, I've got you. And then he uses a little phrase at the very end of that teaching, and he says, you of little faith. That's what's happening underneath. When we're feeling anxiety, the thing that is deep underneath us that we need to pay attention to is our faith, or in many cases, our lack of faith, our lack of trust in God. We need to be aware of the reality that he is in control and we can trust him. I usually think about things uh, because my math, my mind kind of works uh, in the realm of math. And so I think when Jesus is teaching here, if he was trying to explain this to someone that understands math, he would say that anxiety or worry and faith are inversely proportional. And for those of you that don't like math and it gives you a headache, this is simply what it means. This is what the equation would look like. Anxiety is equal to one over faith. And if some of you are looking at that and you're thinking, that doesn't make sense either, this simply means this. When our faith gets big, anxiety gets really, really small. When our trust and belief and our understanding of who God is and his control over our life, when that gets really, really big, anxiety gets really, really small. But when our faith gets really, really small, and we lose sight of who God is and what he's done for us and what he thinks about us, our anxiety gets really, really big. We've got to understand that God is the one that is in control and we can trust him. Because friends, you don't know what the future holds, but God wants us to know that we know the one who holds the future and we have access to him. And that's what Paul was talking about here. The Lord is near, we have access to him, he is in control, and we can come to him with prayer and petition. And this idea of control as it relates to anxiety is really important because control is a core issue of anxiety. And anxiety oftentimes is the consequence of what we perceive to be chaos in the world around us. Oftentimes, we can feel like we're victims. We're victims to things that are happening around us that seem unseen, they seem chaotic. Sometimes they seem even random. Where are these things coming from? And those things create anxiety in us. I was looking at this study that was done by some psychologists during World War II, and it was really interesting. They were trying to help understand anxiety in and around uh, soldiers, combat soldiers. And when they did a study, they had two different groups of, of people that they, they looked specifically at ground troops and they looked at Air Force pilots. And here's what they began to see is that ground troops, when they were in constant combat for 60 days, they would get to the place where they would be what they called emotionally dead, almost unable to even function because of the anxiety that they were experiencing. The anxiety that they experienced came from the fact that they never knew what was going to happen. They were under constant threats. There were always bomb blitzes. There were artillery shells. There were snipers. They never knew what was going to happen. And in about 60 days, they were unable to function. But here was the interesting thing to me about this study. When they looked at pilots, even though the mortality rate of pilots was way more than ground troops, they loved their job more than anyone. 93% of pilots said, I love my assignment. 
And here's what they began to understand. The pilots, it was very, very different. They felt like, I get to sit in the cockpit. I get to have my hands on the controls. And if I feel like I'm in control, I control my destiny. I control my fate. And that brought a sense of peace to them. And in some ways, that makes sense. But how would we apply that to our situation? So does that mean that if we're going to experience peace in this life, we've got to learn how to control everything in life? Here's the truth, friends. We can't control everything. There are so many things that happen to us that are outside of our control. And control actually is an illusion. If we think that we can control everything, we're just fooling ourselves. We don't know what's coming. And what's interesting is if you just look at it honestly, control freaks, those, and I, and I, I raise my hand, control freaks, they can be some of the most anxious people that are out there. We can't take control because control is not ours to take. But here's what Paul wants us to understand, that there's a different option. We don't have to try to take control of everything that is happening in the world around us. We actually need to learn to relinquish control. We need to give control to God and entrust those things to him. And that's what we do by prayer and petition. We put those things that are outside of our control in his control. I love this simple prayer, and some of you have probably heard it before. It's kind of oftentimes associated with the 12-step program, and it's sometimes referred to as the serenity prayer, but I think there's incredibly great wisdom in it. And it says simply this, God, grant me the serenity, that sense of, of peace, to accept the things that I cannot change, courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Friends, there are things that we just can't control. There are things that we need to take responsibility before, but we've got to understand the difference between those two and the things that we can't control by prayer and petition. We place those things at God's feet. You don't know what the future holds, but you do know the one who holds the future. You can't control all the things that happen to you But in this next section, Paul's gonna give us a little bit of good news because there is something that you can control. You can control the things that you think about. You get to pick the things that you ponder, the things that go through your mind. So in light of that, what is it that we should think about? Paul says this as he continues in verse eight. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Since you can choose the things that you think about, friends, we've got to learn then how to think about what we think about. Because what happens with anxiety, when we get anxious, we start to focus on the wrong things. I wanna show you a little illustration here. If I were to hold up this to you and I were to ask you, what do you see here? And I've done this before to people and almost everyone says, I see a black dot. Now it would be just as easy to say, I see a big white piece of paper with a little black dot on it. And here's what I want us to understand. When we are going through storms in life, 
And maybe they don't seem like a small little dot, but sometimes if that's all we focus on, if this is the only thing that grabs our attention, the only thing that we're thinking about, that feels like that is all of life. And we need to realize that that isn't all of life. There are other things that we need to think about. And that's why Paul is saying that we need to think about what we think about. And Paul in another place in scripture, and I, this is one of my favorite scriptures because thinking about what we're thinking about is a battle for our mind. And Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he talks about this battle for the mind and he actually uses battle type language. Here's what he says, 2 Corinthians 10 starting in verse four. He says the weapons, the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And here's the strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against a knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul is saying everything that goes across the screen of your mind, evaluate it, grab a hold of it, Hold it up to Jesus and say, Jesus, is this from you? Jesus, is this true? Jesus, is this helpful for me? Because there's soundtracks, friends, that we play over and over in our mind. Things that we are starting to believe might be true about us, might be true about God, might be true about others that exactly aren't true. We need to evaluate those things and think about what we think about. Because here's what matters to Paul. This is why this was the must-win battle in his mind, the battle for our mind, is because what we believe will determine how we behave. What we think will determine how we respond to the world around us. And when you read the, the writings of Paul, at the beginning of his books, he often specifically talks about the things that are true about God. And then in light of that, this then is what we should do. Paul understands that belief precedes behavior. The most important thing about you are the things that you believe because those are gonna be the things that determine how you relate to the world around you. The most important thing about you is your belief system. Now here's what Paul does at the very end, and I love this because he gets incredibly practical. If we're gonna make progress around dealing with anxiety in our life, We've got to practice. Here's what Paul says. If we're gonna rediscover joy, we've got to learn to practice. Verse nine, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Paul is incredibly practical. If we're gonna persevere in dealing with anxiety in our life, we've got to learn to practice. This isn't gonna be something that you just say, you know, uh, there was one day in February that I heard this amazing sermon from this bald guy in a Where's Waldo sweater, and it changed my life and I was never anxious again. That is not what's gonna happen. What we need to do is we need to learn to actually practice the things that Paul is talking about. And here's what I want you to do. I wanna give you four things that when anxiety comes into your life, and this rock, I want it to kind of visualize that picture of anxiety for us. When you start to feel, wow, that's a heavy rock. When you start to feel and lift that anxiety, and you're starting to feel the weight of it in your life. 
What is it that you're gonna do? What is it that you're gonna practice? And I want you to practice pauses. There's four ways that I want you to pause. And the first is this, pause and remind yourself that God is present. That's where Paul began this section of scripture and it's where he ended at the very end when he said, the God of peace will be with you and the Lord is near. We've got to remember, he is with us. If nothing else in your circumstances change, you need to realize that Jesus is right beside you. He's got your hand, he's got his arm around you and he can help you in the midst of whatever circumstance you're in. And that's why that question that my friend asks in therapy, where do you see God in this, is such an important question. Ask that question. Pause and remember that God is present. A second thing, pause and remind yourself that God is powerful. Power, God has power and understanding his power can bring peace to our life because we realize the things that we don't have control of he actually has control of. And what we need to do then is yield control to him. And we do that by prayer and petition, simply talking to God. And here's what I wanna challenge you to do. I was talking to a friend this week and she was just talking about how learning to pray out loud and saying things out loud was transformational. She said, so often I had opportunities where I just felt like I had an ongoing dialogue in my mind, but there was something powerful about saying something out loud. Say these things out loud. Bring those burdens to God, those anxieties to God. And I love how Peter describes it in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. He actually says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And casting, it's just this idea of relocating an object because you are gonna have times in your life when you start to feel the weight of anxiety. And what Peter is saying is when you start to feel that weight of anxiety, your first move is to relocate it, cast it, move it over to Christ, put it at his feet because he loves you, he cares for you, and he has the power and the control to actually do something about it. He may not change your circumstances instantly, he may not change them at all, but he has the power to do it, and he is with you. And when Paul was talking about what we do in terms of prayer and petition, at the very end of that, he added two words to it. He said, prayer and petition with thanksgiving thanksgiving, gratitude. If we're gonna do the things that relieve anxiety in our life, we've got to become grateful people. I think about this illustration that I gave you, how easy it is for us to focus on the storms of life, the challenges of life. But what gratitude does, what thanksgiving does, is it just forces us to look at the white sheet of paper. Take time, regularly, every day even, and be thankful. Speak out those things that you are grateful for. I know for some people, it's really, really helpful to do what they call a gratitude journal where each day they're just writing out the things, maybe 10 a day, and they, they don't repeat, but they just think of other things that they're grateful for, and it starts to shape their mind and their thinking and help us to think about the things that we think about. And here's the thing, that gratitude is just simply a mindful awareness of the benefits of life, the things that are going well for you. And here's what I thought was interesting. There was a study that talked about some of the positive effects 
of gratitude. One is that people that live out this life of gratitude and speak out gratitude, they are more empathetic and forgiving of others. They experience less envy, less materialism, and less self-centeredness. And it enhances their relationships, their quality of sleep, and even the length of their life. When I was looking at that, I was just thinking, man, if you could bottle that, if you could bottle that, that would be a miracle cure. You would be a bazillionaire if you could bottle that. But it makes sense that God's cure for anxiety, his anxiety therapy has lots of gratitude. Because here's what's true, friends. A heart that is full of anxiety and a heart that full of gra- that's full of gratitude don't exist at the same time. Those are two different hearts. Cultivate your heart to be grateful for the things in this life. The third thing that we want to pause and do is that we want to pause and refocus our perspective. And again, it's coming back to think about what you think about. Because when our perspective change, when we see a bigger picture of what God might be doing and we start to think about those things that are true and noble and right, pure and lovely and admirable, excellent and praiseworthy, it changes our heart. It changes our focus, but it also changes our emotions. Are we telling ourselves things that are true? Are the soundtracks that are playing in our minds true? Are the stories that we tell over and over in our mind, are they true? We hold those up to Jesus. We take every thought captive. We learn to think about what we think about. And the last thing that we do is that we pause and that we remember God's people. We don't do this alone. And I just wanna highlight, uh, because Brian Preby did such a great job last week talking about this very principle that I'm not gonna try to unpack it But if you didn't hear that sermon, you've got to go back and listen to it because he talked about us imitating one another, that we learn from one another. And that's what Paul said in Philippians 4 verse 9. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. See this, learning to engage these things and pause and do the, it's it's not just a me thing. It is a we thing. We've got to learn how to do this together. Friends, I just want to close with this thought that I've said multiple times throughout this sermon, and it's just simply this. We don't know. We don't know what the future holds, but we know the one that holds the future. And the scripture is telling us, Paul is telling us, he's near, he's right there, he's present. He's powerful. He's in control. And he's got the perspective that we need. And that's why we need to think about what we think about and align our thinking with his. And we need to remember that he has provided for us a body of Christ, people to help us do this together. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I know that there are people out there that that are buried, feel buried in anxiety. It feels like a prison. And I don't want this sermon to feel trite to them because they're hurting. But Holy Spirit, would you take the truths of your word and would you 
take it to the hearts of people, that we would actually learn how to live these things out in ways that would change our perspective so that we could know what is true and that we would follow you wholeheartedly. Jesus, we want to be an all-in follower of you. We don't want to live in a prison of anxiety. Thank you for these things that your word tells us can help bring about peace in the midst of the storms of life. Jesus, we love you and we're so thankful for you. And it's in your powerful and resurrected name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Journey, I love you. I know you're going through a lot and I'm gonna be praying for you even in and around as you get the chance to listen to this sermon on Sunday morning. I'm just gonna pray that God's spirit will break into your heart in a new and powerful way. I love you and we look forward to seeing you next Sunday, March 5th. Love you.